We speak together in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First, I want to offer my sincere thanks to Father Sunil and to the Altar Guild for inviting me to be with you on this very special day. I realize also that it is a very complicated day for while there is celebration, there is also a bit of sorrow. And it would have been easy to call me up and say, uh, don't come, and I would have said, okay. Uh, but I think that going forward is probably the right thing to do. I was thinking about it last night, and I realized that uh, something that I think brings the day together, the day of celebration and the day of sorrow over your beloved father, Eric, I think is in the hymnal, hymn 541, come, labor on. This, this is the fourth verse of the hymn. Come, labor on, claim the high calling angels cannot share. Too young and old the gospel tidings bear. Redeem the time, the hours too quickly fly, the night draws nigh. Whether our ministry is in front of the altar, behind the altar, behind the scenes, we work together for the holiness and the glory of God. And not many parishes, I'll tell you, celebrate their altar guilds as you are doing here today. And it's something that should be done far more often. It's also something of an anniversary for me. Uh, this is Trinity Sunday, and it's uh, before I went to seminary, I was interning at uh, St. Andrew's Church in Wilmington, Delaware, my hometown, and the rector there had a bit of a warped sense of humor, I think, because he assigned me to preach my first public sermon on Trinity Sunday. Ask anybody, and they will tell you that it is one of the most difficult uh, Sundays of the year to preach because it's more about concept than it is about uh, a story. It's a little harder to, to get our, our teeth into. And it's probably a good thing that that particular sermon is lost to history and it was before live streaming and all that sort of thing. <laughs> I, had, I was petrified, I'll tell you. Now, when I found out that this was the day uh, that I was going to be preaching again, I thought, oh, okay. But I, I had something that popped into mind more quickly. And it's because of the hymn that we just sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. Certainly one of the great hymns of the church. I can't imagine Trinity Sunday without it. It wouldn't feel like Trinity Sunday. It would be like, uh, for me, uh, not singing, come thou long expected Jesus in Advent. You know, you just can't not do it. Or you know, it just has to be. And the reason it has to be is because it helps us to understand the day. It helps us to understand what holy means. The hymn poetically, somewhat poetically, de defines what holy means. Webster's Dictionary defines holy as 
exalted or worthy of complete devotion and as divine. In the hymn, Reginald Heber wrote, holy means perfect in power, in love, and purity. I find that a little bit easier. But overall, the whole thing is an awfully large concept to take in all at once. I need to have it in smallish doses and smallish bites to begin to understand it. And I do mean beginning to understand it because I don't think I will ever fully understand it. Well, I think Jesus himself understood the difficulty in taking in the divinity of God. Even his closest companions had a hard time with it. And that truth is reflected in today's gospel lesson from John. He says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And it's not as if Jesus hasn't been revealing the marvelous truth of his divinity or shown his, them his love, his compassion, and his full humanity. But for them and for us to accept and see the fullness of God requires a bit of help. Jesus promises that the spirit of truth will guide them. Last week, we celebrated the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. That, of course, is the person of the Trinity that is the spirit of truth and who guided not only the apostles 2,000 years ago, but guides us today. The Holy Spirit is, among other things, a great revealer. We can't see the Holy Spirit per se. Even hard to, uh, although in art, it's often depicted in many different ways. But we're always trying to figure out how to talk about it. Uh, last Sunday, we had our annual parish picnic and outdoor service, which is a very casual service with folk music and fun. And we just have it. It's really a fun service. And in order to talk about the Holy Spirit last week, we were blowing soap bubbles during the sermon. Now, I don't know if Bishop Provenzano, who uh, sends his greetings to uh, Christ Church, by the way, would want one of his deans uh, blowing soap bubbles in sermons, but it got the point across. We had a lot of fun, and the kids will remember it. But we saw the movement of the bubbles and the spirit and blowing around, and that's what the spirit does. It blows around and it, it's the, the Ruach Yahweh, the, the wind of God that is the creative force that sustains us as well. Now, sometimes, especially in the, today we're, as I say, we're continuing to celebrate the movement of the Holy Spirit, continuing to reveal the beauty of holiness. Sometimes that revelation can happen in different ways, but today we're celebrating the altar guild. And especially in the case of the altar guild, that movement towards revelation can be physical. It can happen in the simple daily tasks of things like dusting the altar, ironing the linens, and polishing the metalwork. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Jesus's visit to Mary and Martha of Bethany in which uh, they want to put on a wonderful meal for Jesus. 
And Martha's fussing around and fussing around and fussing around and just trying to make everything perfect because she loves Jesus. Mary is listening to Jesus and what so often happens is that we hear Martha being condemned because Jesus says only one thing is needful and Mary's chosen the better part. But Jesus doesn't condemn her. Jesus just invites her to, an, to be aware of his presence. I think that we get it wrong if we think that's a condemnation. She may have been going a little over the top, but it was for the right reason. It was out of love for Jesus. She was working on building relationship with him in her own way. Not, not everybody is great at the whole contemplative prayer thing. I am not, for one. I'll tell you a story. Uh, we, uh, in the, uh, I was helping to lead a diocesan altar guild uh, retreat in the, in the Diocese of Long Island, where I'm the chaplain of the altar guild. And uh, Bishop Geraldine Wolf, whom you all know, uh, was our presenter that day. And so in the spot where we were supposed to be contemplating on her words of wisdom after her first, um, after her first talk, I snuck into the sacristy of the, of the chapel to make sure everything was re ready for the Eucharist. Well, I got in there, and this is a very seldom used chapel, and no one's really in charge of it. And let's just say things were not up to snuff. They were not ready. You all would be appalled. <laughs> so I tried, I find some silver polish that isn't too dried out and I start to work on the, I start to work on a chalice or a patent, I don't remember which, doesn't matter. And Bishop Wolf walks in and I'm thinking, I'm busted. And I said, I'm sorry, Bishop, I'm just kind of more Martha than I am Mary. And she said, that's all right, I am too. Picks up a cloth and starts polishing silver with me. So that revealed something to me about her, a, light, a little bit lightness of being, and it began to forge a relationship. And you know, now I don't worry about being around her. Uh, you know, we have a tendency to worry about being around the, the people with the pointy hats because they've got the authority. But her simple act of picking up a polishing cloth and joining me in the act of preparing the, for, the alt, for the altar revealed a lot. Now, when you handle the holy things, which is the privilege of the altar guild, as you perhaps take off a layer of tarnish carefully, you get to see the beauty of the objects emerging. You get to, and perhaps you read the inscriptions and you discover that, oh, this was given in memory of thus and so. Uh, you know, I read the, uh, I read, I, I tend to read the things in churches and I was very surprised to read uh, that your processional cross was given by uh, Jim Annand, who I knew when I was in seminary at, uh, at Virginia, he was, a, he was uh, the interim rector at my home parish. Uh, so that was a wonderful connection. And there's all kinds, and the, the things that we handle, that we polish, that we dust, these give us connections. And they reveal history. They reveal some of our tradition. They reveal the people that have been behind us. 
the remembrance of things. I was very surprised um, to hear about the hurricane of 1938. I've heard about the hurricane of 1938 twice in the last 16 hours. <laughs> I had not heard about that hurricane for probably 40 years before that because we had a book of uh, pictures of the hurricane when it was, uh, my parents are from Hartford, and uh, so they had a, a book of pictures of the 1938 hurricane in our front hall bookcase that I would look at from time to time, but it was never really real to me. But now hearing stories from Westerly, that became very real. So again, that's, all these things are similar. They're all connections. They're all history. We have a set of, uh, we have a beautiful set that we use at All Saints uh, for mostly for our eight o'clock service because it's a smaller size set. But the altar guild who I drive crazy because I'm always taking old things out and bringing them back into use. Um, they, didn't realize what they had. I, so I looked at this thing one day and I saw that it was part of a beautiful set and it was all given for the, uh, in memory of children who had died either as infants or as toddlers. And you know, it's just heart-wrenching. But when we use that set, we remember those children, uh, even if not by name, there's a connection and the clergy and the altar guild and the acolytes are the, and the, are the ones that get to know that sort of thing. So your ministry is one of revealing history. It's of revealing joy. It's of revealing sorrow. It's of revealing the work of the spirit in whatever church you are working in, whatever chapel, even if it's a neglected one. We know that the Holy Spirit is there. One of the most wonderful services I can remember being a part of was in a township in South Africa just before apartheid broke up. I was, uh, I was sent there to do a summer internship and uh, we did a confirmation service. Bishop Kraft, uh, the Bishop of Pretoria, uh, did this service and the altar was wonderful. It was a folding table with a tablecloth. And we were in somebody, we were in somebody's garage, but uh, a sheet had been hung up and we made church and the Holy Spirit was there. And I know that the ladies that made that happen loved it just as much as you all do when you make these things shine and when you offer that gift to God. So wherever we may find ourselves, we find ourselves in a place where we can be helpers of the Holy Spirit, where we can continually reveal God to one another. As we come to church, I, I encourage all of us, altar guild, lay people, clergy, all of us, to pay attention, to look carefully at our surroundings, to know that the church is trying to teach us. It's trying to tell us something. And as stewards of it, we have a wonderful opportunity 
to tell the story. Like the old hymn, I love to tell the story, right? Of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longing as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And we do it here. We do it wherever we gather. And we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Amen.